comes from Hebrews 10, uh, 19 through 25, and it's on, on page 1,873 in your pew Bible. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'd invite the boys and girls to come up for a children's sermon. Welcome. Come on in. Can everybody find a spot? Can you get in there? Can you skinny up here? Thanks for coming. I'm getting a little nervous, um, like the pastor that comes to visit quite often. I'm not sure I bought enough candy. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Well, today's theme for our um, 40 Days of Community is uh, worship together. Um, what does that mean? What do you think that means, to worship together? What do you think? Okay, we could pray and do that together. Very good. Others? Any thoughts? Yeah. Work together. Yes, sir. Very good. Yes, if someone asks for help, we could help them. Let's, that, let's break that in half. Worship. What does it mean to worship? What do you think? What do you think? Were you going to say something? No? Sorry. Yeah. Be nice to someone. To pray. To sing to God. I looked it up in the dictionary and it included some words like bring glory. To um, act in reverence to God. What does it mean together? What does together mean? Yes. Working with someone, not alone, right? Yeah. 
Thoughts? No? Yes, sir. When you help someone, yes. Yes, sir. Okay, get a job done together. Is it easier together than alone? I think we learned that last week. It was easier to hand out candy, right? Together? Yeah, okay, well, I brought some things to maybe shed some light on this working together idea. How many of you like to put puzzles together? You like to put puzzles together? Good. This puzzle that I have about little critters, little baby wild animals, even came with a picture. Pretty cute, huh? What do you think? Isn't that beautiful? Do you like baby animals? Does somebody have a favorite on there? You like the wolf? Okay. Well, yes. You like the bear and the kitty? Okay. Well, they claim that this is going to make that beautiful picture. Does it look like a beautiful picture? Hmm. How, how do you go about using this to make that beautiful picture? How do you do it when you put a puzzle together? What do you think? How do you start a puzzle? Okay, a frame, right? Start with the outside pieces. What do they all have in common? Yeah, they connect together and what is that one side? What? Flat, exactly. So they have something in common, right? Um, yeah, these puzzle pieces, they're all different colors, all different shapes. Um, they're virtually the same size, but some puzzles don't have the same size. Um, boy, how am I going to get that put together? How would you put all those different colors, pieces, and sizes together? What would you do? Teamwork. Oh, what a great idea. So she has a talent with jigsaw puzzles, huh? I didn't know that about her. Yes. You'd get some friends to help you. Yeah. Exactly. Would you like to put this together without the picture? No, sometimes we don't have a big picture, do we? Would be pretty hard to put that together then. What if these were all hot pink? All of these pieces were hot pink. Would that be easy? No, we look for clues, right? In the puzzle pieces, all the greens go together and all the fox picture goes together, right? And all the bright yellow flower goes together. 
we look for clues. Well, what does that have to do with worship together? Well, in this jigsaw puzzle, it can teach us um, many important lessons about our church and about worship. We have many individual members, like the pieces of the puzzle, that are different sizes, shapes, colors, and they might even have different talents. Let me pose a question to you. What's all involved in our worship coming here? What's all involved? What's involved in worship? Jesus, excellent, the main focus, exactly. People, would it be worth worshiping if there weren't any people here? No. Talking, who talks? Pastor Dan talks, exactly, yes. Teamwork. What if Pastor Dan worked the overhead projector and he worked the sound and he directed the choir and he played the drums and he played the piano? How do you think worship would turn out? Thumbs down? <laughs> yeah, that probably wouldn't work so well, would it? I know one thing, he'd probably be pretty tired. And another thing would, is he a good piano player, do you think? Would that sound good? Probably not. So when we worship, we want it to be the best for God, and we want to bring reverence to God. And we need help. Pastor Dan cannot do that all himself. Did you know that there are even people outside of worship that helps? We have a secretary. Her name is Val. She prints up the bulletins and she folds them. And we have people that pray before the service. Did you know that? So even outside of worship, we have people helping out. So here's another question. What if maybe Dr. Springer or Dr. Brenda would come up and preach and maybe Pastor Dan went down to the clinic and worked with sick people. Do you think that would work? No. Absolutely not. You wouldn't want him helping you get better? Hmm. So we have to use our talents within our worship service. And it takes all the puzzle pieces, doesn't it? Takes all the puzzle pieces and... They all can't be pink, like the piece, pieces of the puzzle. Have to be all different colors and shapes to come up with that big picture. So the next time you're thinking about worship, think about all the components that has to come together to worship together. And you're a crucial part, correct? You are a part of the children's choir, right? A lot of you are. So you're a crucial part. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I just thank you for the blessings of this church to worship in and all the talents that come together to make this church function and worship you. For you deserve all the glory. In your name we pray this. 
Amen. Well, no children's sermon is complete without candy, right? So you better come up and uh, pick out a piece of candy here, a Smarty. And you can head back to your seats. Very good. Thank you, Janine. Thank you, boys and girls. Appreciate everybody's participation in worship today. And that one person is not doing it all. <clears throat> but our theme is worship. And uh, Janine has introduced that, and we do it better together. Um, I assume that most of you have heard, of, or if you have not actually used, many of the excuses there are not to attend morning worship. Some of the common ones are, Sunday's my only day to sleep in, the church is full of hypocrites, I feel judged by people at church, I don't get anything out of it, the church just wants my money, the people aren't friendly, and you know, there may be some truth to some of these excuses. I mean, worship is not entertainment. This is not an entertainment time. And people do get unfairly judged. That happens. And Sunday probably is the only day to sleep in when you work six days a week. But when we use these excuses, ultimately what we're saying is, I don't need it. I don't need worship. What underlines excuses is, is it's, it's not important to you. Despite everything in Scripture that emphasizes the significance and necessity of being part of the body of Christ gathering together, when we make excuses, we're basically saying, no, nah, I don't need that. There's this mistaken idea that our faith is private. I can worship God anytime, anywhere. I can do it in nature. I can do it at home. I can watch it on TV. But friends, if you believe the Bible, our faith is personal, but it's not private. All the biblical metaphors that speak of the Christian church are plural. The church is described as a body with many parts, a flock of sheep, a building made up of many stones, a nation of citizens. God created us as social beings and worshiping beings. Obviously there's exceptions, shut-ins, people in care facilities, some struggle with social anxiety. We must be sensitive to those things. But when we're born in Christ, we're born into a family. The scripture this morning that Rochelle, uh, Rochelle read is that it tells us that it's a bad habit not to meet together. 
When we come together like this, we are putting ourselves in the pathway of God's grace. And there are benefits and blessings that we experience here together that we can't experience worshiping by ourselves or watching people worship. Hebrews 10 commands and expects believers to gather together, to give worship to God. In verses 19 through 21, the writer reviews how, because of the cleansing blood of Jesus, we have confidence to enter into the presence of God. And when we do, in this particular passage, it explains four benefits. Four benefits for our lives and the life of the church. And each one of those benefits is introduced with the word, let us. Us. Let us do this together. He begins in verse 22. Let us draw near to God. Friends, this is the storyline of the Bible. To draw near to God. To come to Him. Isaiah 43 says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed, whom I made. God made us to glorify him. And when we glorify him, you know what happens? We're glorified and we experience our joy. And one of the ways we bring glory to God is when we gather as his sons and daughters to praise him and to surrender to him. To worship is to give something or someone ultimate value, ultimate worth. And that's what we do when we come here on Sunday mornings, regardless of how inadequately we do it. Our goal is to make Jesus Christ supreme in the congregation and in personal life. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So how do we draw near to God? If you get nothing out of worship, these four things are worth paying attention to. In verse 22, there's four things there that tell us how to draw near to God. One is with a sincere heart. In other words, we don't want to come here just out of duty. Although sometimes it feels that way. But we want to come with heartfelt genuineness. We want to come with gratitude and with praise. So prepare for worship by examining your heart, examining your spirit. Besides getting up on Sunday mornings and having breakfast and getting dressed, do you do any kind of heart preparation for this time together? Because that heart preparation can determine what you will get out of this experience. And then he goes on to say, in full assurance of faith, we come trusting him. We come confidence in his love for us, his grace and forgiveness and his mercy. Sometimes we come, however, struggling with doubts and with questions. And that's okay. 
Worship is the place to bring our doubts, to bring our questions and our struggles. Draw near to God with your questions. Seek Him by listening and praying and watching and waiting. We don't have to have it all figured out to draw near to God with faith. And then he includes having been cleansed of guilt. I've heard different times people making the excuse that they feel shame, they feel guilt, and so that's why they don't come to church. But friends, that's a reason to come to worship. All of us bring sin into this event. We are sin-stained and we want to come here and be cleansed, to be cleansed by the blood of Christ so we can draw near to God as part of the preparation of the worship experience, confessing our sins and finding grace and finding forgiveness. And then he finally says, filled with the Holy Spirit. There's kind of a progression here. Worship is really a supernatural experience, whether there's emotion or not. When we prepare our hearts and draw near to God, the flame of the Spirit within us is increased. We draw near to God in worship. And a second benefit of group worship is holding to the hope we profess. The hope we profess. When we draw near to God, we grow in hope. Last week I talked about mission drift, drifting away from our mission. In the same way, we can drift from our mission, we can drift from our faith, from our hope. We can spiritually drift. Not being connected with Christian fellowship, whether it's a large group worship or small group fellowship, we put ourselves in danger of backsliding, of having our hope dwindle. So gathering and worship with each other is a time to recalibrate our spiritual compass and get it refocused on Jesus and to have our hope rekindled from the beating that it takes through the week. It's interesting in Psalm 73, the writer expresses despair. He says, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant and when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Surely it's been in vain for me to have hope in God. He's struggling with injustice and with evil. But if you keep reading the psalm in verse 16, he says, When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. In other words, when he came into worship, in the sanctuary with the people, it put injustice and suffering in perspective and his hope was renewed. Worship is an opportunity to to reestablish an eternal perspective on life and to remember that life is temporary and that God wins 
It's also a time when we, when we come together, we make a statement of hope together publicly. It's a testimony to our community that we have hope in the midst of brokenness. But there's more. Verse 24 says, let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We draw near to God, we have our hope renewed, and then we want to challenge each other. There's a form of accountability as we come together and draw near to God with hope. That word spur as a noun means a thing that prompts or promotes or encourages someone. It's an incentive. But as a verb, it means to urge a horse forward by digging one's spurs into its side. <laughs> well, I don't know which uh, meaning you want to take there in terms of worship and spurring one another on. But we're meant to stimulate each other towards love and maturity and accountability with good deeds. And we do that when we're here together. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. Notice Paul is saying the body of Christ, the church is to mature in love. Love is the measure of maturity. And as we've been saying over and over in the campaign, in order to love, you have to be in relationship. The assumption is, as a spiritual family, we grow in this maturity as we fellowship and as we learn and as we worship together. I kind of look at our relationships in the church as connections like family relationships. We have spiritual brothers and sisters. We have spiritual aunts and uncles and spiritual mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers. Each type of relationship contributes to our spiritual growth. 1 John 1.11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now you may not feel sometimes that you need the church. But the church needs you. We come here together to practice loving. We come here together be, to be filled and to mature in Christ by drawing near to God and rekindling our hope and spurring one another on in a life of love. Someone said love promotes the fellowship and fellowship stimulates the love. And then finally in verse 25, he says, let us encourage one another. By the end of the week, most of us are drained. We're we're worn out from the wear and tear of the life. Some of you come here beat up. Beat up emotionally and spiritually. Worship is meant to be a time to be refilled, to be renewed. Romans 12:15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. 
We come together here to share our joys and share our sorrows. Someone has said that when we share our joys, we double them. And when we share our sorrows, we divide them. Now this morning, I want to take the opportunity to double my joy and Sue's joy. Um, our son and um, daughter-in-law have been expecting a baby. And he decided to come early. So there's no name yet. And we're really confused as to what day he was born because they're a full day ahead of us. Um, March 4. Uh, yeah, 6 pounds, 20 and a half inches. And we're, we're just thrilled. Um, so I've been looking forward to sharing that joy with you. Now the emphasis here is not on just what we get from corporate worship, but what we can contribute to the body of believers. Faithfulness in church attendance encourages others, especially for those who come here and their faith is wavering. This letter to the Hebrews is addressed to people who are being persecuted. And some of them in their fear stopped going to worship assemblies. They were afraid. And, and, and the writer is saying that, that the threat of persecution is worth the benefits of worshiping together. Again, as we come together, we are encouraged when we worship God to, as we gain an eternal perspective on life, especially our sufferings, especially our pain. What we do here is in a way practicing and preparing for eternal life. This can remind us that all the junk and all the pain in this life is temporary and that all is going to be restored and there's more to it than this. In talking about worshiping together, I want to conclude this is not just meant to be a duty and worship is not definitely meant to be a legalistic requirement. Coming to church on Sundays is not just an event but it's a natural part of following Jesus. The writer of Hebrews describes it as a habit, a habit of meeting together to draw near to our God, to hold to the hope we profess, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and to encourage one another. We see in these exhortations the triad of faith, hope, and love, the trinity of Christian character which we are meant to become. We need to remind each other that Jesus Christ is the ultimate reality. We need to remind each other what he has done for us. Now, I appreciate those who work hard six days a week and they look at Sundays as a day to sleep in and relax. But friends, Sunday is a getting up day. Because Sunday is the day that Jesus got up from the grave. He suffered, he died, and he was buried, but he rose again from the dead on Sunday. 
And that is why we have our worship on Sundays. Because Sunday is Resurrection Day. Every Sunday is getting up day. Regardless of what we get out of it. We get up and we come. We get up and come the risen King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's the getting up of Jesus that motivates us to be here. And that gives us a reason to bring him praise and thanks. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we are social beings and you created us for relationship and that you want us to worship you together. We ask that um, when we do, you would help us to prepare to draw near to you uh, as a group, as an assembly, and to be holding to our hope in you, to hold each other accountable, to love and good deeds, and to encourage each other in our walk together. Thank you that you have given us a reason to worship you, that you are all glorious, that you love us, and you have saved us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.